Hello and welcome to South Beach Sessions. I am Dan Lebetard, and this is a different sort of South Beach Session that we're doing today. And we'll have a few different ones in the coming weeks and months as we introduce you by way of announcement to some of the people who are becoming and friends, some of the people who are joining Metal Arc Media, some of the people who, after and during the turbulence at Disney at the end with ESPN, really rushed like friends to our support creatively and actually. So our first announcement at Metal Arc Media, I find myself getting nervous. This is funny. It doesn't happen very often anymore, is... Hank Azaria is going to join our team as Jim Brockmeyer, and he's bringing with him Sheena Dot, a writer for Brockmeyer, who will be his co-host on a podcast that will serve as our first announcement at Metal Arc Media as part of Lebetard and Friends. Jim Brockmeyer is going to be doing a podcast with us. We're going to, as I said, in weeks and months have more announcements, but we like the symbolism of this one. A friend who is a creative who, sort of about sports, not about sports. His character loves to urinate on the cathedrals in sports. He's a ribald, crazy character, if you do not know, who is a product of Hank Azaria, who has done a lot of work over the years as a lot of characters. And I don't know if this is your proudest work as the voice actor of our time on The Simpsons, but this was your love project, Brockmire, and you're now continuing it with us and you're joining us now. So I'm thrilled that you're with us and I'm sorry that I yammered and I'm sorry that I got nervous, but I... Really want the people to know how much your support, Hank, has meant to us during this time because it was a turbulent time. And I'm just curious, as you join us, what you were seeing from over there as you decided, hey, I want to join these guys. I want to help them. I want to do projects with them. Well, first of all, thank you for introducing me uh, while using the word urinate. Really appreciate that. Thanks for teeing me up that way. And uh, yeah, I'm going to chalk that up to part of your nervousness. Uh, I'm just glad it wasn't any worse. Is there anything that you feel I defecated upon? Uh, <laughs> um, okay, I botched uh, the beginning. <laughs> I botched the very start of this, but I love that we're doing this together, and I love that we get to work together and, and create something that is something of great pride to you. Yeah, me too, yes. Jim Brockmire, uh, the, Brock, the character of Brockmire, and then the Brockmire show was, I think, my favorite thing I've ever done. I think it was the only thing I've developed for television that actually worked, let alone, I mean, like, I mean, went past four episodes. That's what I mean by worked. Let alone was like creatively, like I, it actually exceeded my expectations. Everything I did before went way underneath my expectations. And then over the years in promoting it and doing appearances as Jim Brockmeyer, uh, I really enjoyed that, getting to know you, getting to know a lot of sportscasters, guys like. Dan Patrick. Rich Eisen was already a friend of mine. Um, Bob Costas, Joe Buck, who was in the show. It sort of, um, you know, was my entree into the world of all you guys, which I really, really love. I think uh, in my in my old, middle to old age, I think I even love it more than sports itself, as guys who talk about sports, uh, of which Jim Brockmar is one. And But comedically and spiritually and in every way, logistically, uh, doing your show over the years has been my favorite place. You guys sort of got it more than anyone else. Gave me the most room to go insane as Jim Brockmeyer would like let me have the mic on your radio show for like hours. So when you wanted to do this, I mean, you keep saying very kindly like that it helps you out and you love it, but actually it's a perfect home for the Jim Brockmeyer podcast. It was our good fortune. 
So thank you, Hank. And Hank's going to be doing, I think I can say this, you're going to be doing the late night circuit as Jim Brockmeyer, correct? How much do you want to tell them about what they're going to get right now? Well, I'll be going on as my, as myself on these shows, like Colbert and Seth Myers and stuff. But we'll be talking about what we're doing here with you guys. And uh, yeah, we got to, um, you know, it seemed a natural, the Jim Brockmeyer podcast, because doing appearances like I did on your show, all I do really, or when I make football picks for you guys, or when I used to do it with, with Rich Eisen at the NFL Network way back when, before it was even a TV show, is just, you know, we, we write ridiculous stuff for Brockmeyer to talk about based on sports that week or that month or whatever. So it seemed really easy just to, it's what I was doing anyway when I would make appearances on your show. Like you you would say what you really thought about the NFL that week and Jim Brockmeyer would say his insane things about it. So it, we just reverse it. Now, instead of it being on your show, you now come on my show and the same thing happens. So we start off with Charles Barkley. Then we're going to have a mix of actors and broadcasters. We'll have Ben Stiller and Don Cheadle. We'll have Joe Buck. We'll have Rich Eisen, Dan Patrick. I think Colin Coward's going to join us. Jamel Hill, uh, Joy Taylor. I'm leaving somebody out, but we'll be having really... Uh, oh, Steve Cohn, the new owner of the Mets, which as a Met fan, that makes my heart sing. So, And then Sheena, Sheena Dodd, who's... Uh, who, as you mentioned, we've been working together for years. She's been writing on Brockmire the last couple of years, and now she's gone off on her own and done uh, her uh, her own producing. Um, and she's going to be joining me as my co-host. And uh, and she's a natural for this because all we do is sit around and talk, talk sports half the time anyway. And we have a good comedic back and forth. So, Sheena... I'm yeah. glad you're joining us, yes. Thank you, guys. I'm excited to be here. I was a writer on Brockmire, though, for the podcast, we have a fantastically talented writer named Dave Thomason. He's so um, good. He is so good. I, I'm so envious ridiculous. of his ability to write funny. It's the hardest thing. You guys know this, right? You guys know. The, it, in what it is that you guys do in Hollywood, the hardest thing is to be able to write the funny. And then, obviously, everything after that is bringing it to life. But it's so damn hard, and he makes it look so so easy. Yeah, the the intersection of sports and funny, I think, is one of the hardest. I think Dave does it so flawlessly. Um, so that is very exciting for our partnership. But yeah, I mean, mostly me and Hank just sit around and I make fun of him for liking the Mets. So now I just get to make fun of his alter ego for liking the Mets. For those of you who are not familiar with the Brock Meyer character. Let's say you have not gotten it on Hulu. It's four seasons. It's a very underrated comedy, hugely ribald, something I wish that ESPN had done, but Disney doesn't really do this kind of dark. Brock Meyer was a troubled person who you guys were on the edge. It's a, it is about as dirty as comedies go these days, right? In terms of descending right into the darkness and taking all the liberties and freedom that come with modern day streaming on Hulu. Yeah, sex, drugs, and alcohol through the lens of a, of a sportscaster who talks like this and will give you the count as he's, you know, will dirty talk this way, will dirty talk in this voice. And, and a finger goes into Brock Myers Keister and he is into it. <laughs> oh, the old fastball sign makes for a real tight butt plug. So, um, yeah, 
So we kind of started from there. Uh, the premise is <laughs> guys who announce this way, do they always talk this way? Do they talk this way in their real life? Do they talk this way when they have sex, when they're doing drugs, when they're wasted out of their minds? The answer is yes, they do. <laughs> you also can say whatever the hell you want on the air as long as you give them count afterwards. Man, oh man, I spent the, the better part of last evening with several hookers and about of eight ball of blows. Johnson, this is one in the dirt, one of those. <laughs> Um, so we started there, which was a funny sketch on, on Funny or Die years ago, which Rich Eisen and Dan Patrick and Joe Buck participated in. It was kind of a mockumentary. And then the first writer we were fortunate enough to hook up with, Joel Church Cooper, he came in and when we, when we created a series, when we created the show, and he saw all this depth and alcoholism and reality and darkness and Brockmire as a metaphor for aging white men in our society and how baseball is the same thing and they're both becoming, and I'm such an aging white man myself. I'm like, why did you write all this stuff about how baseball's dying? It's like, you don't know baseball's dying, you unbelievably old white man? I'm like, no, what is all, what do you mean? These kids today don't enjoy the baseball? And uh, so, which is really true. And so then he saw all these themes and darkness and, and, and razor sharp stuff in it that I never did. I was just, I would have been happy just to make a sophomoric silly comedy, which it is, but then it had all this. Oh, Hank, I had no idea that you didn't realize that he was going, he was really taking a hatchet to the sports thing. Sheena, when you got onto the writing staff, that's stunning to hear, Hank, that they took your character and symbolically turned it into something even bigger than that. And I'm stunned to hear that you didn't realize that that was happening at the very beginning. Not only did I not realize that baseball was dying and that was going to be a theme of the show, a major theme of the show, but I didn't even... First, all I cared about that first season was, are the scripts believable and are they funny? Like, do I buy it? And does it make sense and are they actually funny? And, and we were going at like 9 billion miles an hour. They gave us about 12 bucks to make all eight episodes. And so <clears throat> first day on the set, so I'm like so happy. We got decent scripts and we, we got our locations. We're shooting. And uh, do the first take. I'm I'm pretty happy with it. I got my I'm with the beautiful Amanda Pete at the bar, and we're, I don't know, we're talking about being pregnant or whatever we were talking about. And I do my take, and I feel good, and I deliver the lines, and I'm like, oh, we got it. Can we move on? I mean, we don't have a ton of time here. I said all the words. Let's go. Next scene. And the director comes in, br brilliant guy named Tim Kirkby, British guy who directed the pilot of Fleabag as well, which. I think we have a similar tone to this kind of edgy, but Tim had directed it. And so he came in after the first take and he was like, mate, you know, it was good, it was all right, but you know, there's tremendous pain. This character's getting nothing but pain, you know. Everything the story's about is just painful and awful and dark and, you know, it's just true misery. So put that into your performance. I'm like, what? I was like, he's right, actually. I had to like, on the day, I had to like rethink it and realize, man, we're, this is a comedy, but it's best played for real and with awareness of the, the deep, dark suffering that was underneath all of it, which remained that way, you know, through all four years uh, of the show and, you know, still managed to be really funny, thanks to Joel and, and Amanda and Sheena and everybody and, and, and Joel and everybody else connected with it. So, yeah, please, on, if anybody of your audience or anybody listening to this, 
hasn't uh, uh, seen the show, please watch it on Hulu. I, I promise you. It's a really good show. It's a really smart show. It's a really layered show. Sheena, how did all of that look from your perspective to see that Hank was treating it because you're doing whatever it is, 17 days of shooting. You're going a million miles an hour and Hank is trying to just get through it as opposed to feeling the actual pain of this spoof fool Brockmeyer and you're experiencing all of that how? Well, it's interesting because, you know, Hank is such a good actor. Um, whether or not he's being dumb, he's always bringing some depth to it. But it's funny to hear him say that because for me, what I always loved about Brockmeyer was, one, it's it's not the typical... Like he said, it's it's an old white guy who's trying to figure out what his place is in a world that doesn't really have a place for him anymore. But he's not doing it with anger. It's not a show that lashes out at the idea of cancel culture. It's a show about a guy who, who believes in uh, the young people around him, who wants to support them, and who wants to participate in the world that he's in. And it's such a refreshing thing to see in sports. It's a little bit like the Dan Levitard brand in that sometimes when, you know, if you're not an old white guy, which I'm not, you have to sort of navigate your way through uh, in the sports world or in any world what what is going to come back out at you. And with Brockmeyer, it's, it's him appreciating everybody around him, but just internally always imploding. Um, and it's hilarious and also heartbreaking to watch. So, Hank, how much, as you're reading the rewriting and you're getting this director's influence and allowing him to influence, how much did Brockmeyer change from what you originally imagined that it was going to be? When you start, you step foot on what you're about to embark on, or even before that, when you're dreaming of it, how much different was the end product? Well, we had first developed it as a movie script, which got a green light like we were going to make. In fact, we were six weeks or five weeks into prepping it down in Baton Rouge and lost our financing four days before shooting to the tune of $600,000. And Funny or Die was kind enough to kind of absorb that, still believe in it, let us retool it into a TV show pitch, which we realized is probably better anyway to have the time to tell a story like this. And so, but that first season of Brockmire kind of reflected more of what I saw it as. Uh, at least the first two thirds of that, or, or you know, uh, of that season, um, where it was this just kind of an excuse. I kind of saw it as uh, an homage to old great sports movies, gritty sports movies like Slapshot, like the Bad News Bears, these movies from the '70s that were had a real realism and a real soul, and a, and like I said, a grittiness and a and a heart, and great performances and great writing. And we're pretty dirty, you know, and pretty... Uh... I thought of your character as a modernized Walter Matthau. 50 years later, dirty as possible, I thought of your character, the Bad News Bears manager who was a drunk. I thought you were making him the worst possible version of that in, in baseball. Yes, Buttermaker, I think his name was. Buttermaker. Um, yeah, that's ex very much the, we were what we were trying to do. and and But then, you know... What Joel saw in it was this genuine look at, I mean, like, for example, Bad News Bears acknowledges that Buttermaker, Walter Matthau's character, is a drunk, but doesn't kind of get underneath there like, well, what's 
making him drink? You know, like, why is he so miserable? You know, but and Brockmeyer does, does that, you know, it kind of gets at that. Not to mention the the romance that he created, which is really the heart of the show, this love story between Amanda Peet's character who owns the minor league team that Brockmeyer first starts his comeback into baseball with. It's such an original, lovely you know, romantic while being completely unsappy, uh, you know, unsaccharine, unsentimental uh, take on that. So all that was all Joel, like all that like human um, insight, which then seasons two, three, and four. And also Joel's on, like, I was so happy with season one. I'm like, let's just keep doing that, right? You found a formula in TV that works and is funny. You can never do that. But Joel was like, nope, we did that. Let's try something new season two. I'm like, are you crazy? You're going to just throw, but his, you know, much like, um, what's a sports analogy? You know how Belichick throws his game playing out every week and just adjusts it to whoever he's playing? Joel's like the equivalent writer. It's like, no, we did that. We got to keep pushing it or we die, you know, and he pulled it off every year. Sheena, when you watch the Brockmeyer character, what is it that appeals to you about him and tell us your story and how it is you arrived here, how it is that you became a writer on the show and what drew you to the show. So I'll start with the first question, the Brockmeyer character. Uh, you know, Hank always says season one is his favorite, um, just the way that it was set up with that sort of sports story and pushing forward. Season two has always been my favorite. It's this interesting story between Jim Brockmeyer and his producing partner, Charles, who is played by Tyrell Jackson Williams, and sort of, you know, their platonic friendship love as they try and navigate the world together, even though they have absolutely nothing in common. And I have always said that me and Hank are Jim and Charles. So that's that's sort of how we, um, we've known each other for many years. I was a production coordinator on his web series, Fatherhood. And um, with this, the showrunner actually invited me to come be on staff. And I I started writing on it in season two, uh, right when we did that storyline. And it appeals to me just to see, you know, with all the different relationships you have in your life, people who are trying to figure out uh, what their place is in their own world and in your world, and two people who don't seem like they would have anything in common, but who actually become very dear friends. Uh, I think that's that's been something that's very appealing to me about Brockmeyer's the who he is as a person is someone who, no matter how drunk he gets or how crazy he is or what he pees or defecates on, uh, you always kind of root for him, and because you want someone like him who at his core is trying to be a good guy to succeed, even though it takes him a while to do that. A lot has changed over the years, but you know one thing that has the great taste of Miller Lite. Another thing that hasn't changed is that it's less filling. So what's the best thing about the original light beer? I pose this question to you. I don't know. You tell me right now. Okay. Yeah, that's good. I like that. Miller Lite sparked this debate in 1975 and we still haven't settled it. The best thing for me about a nice Miller Lite is when I'm on the boat, I bring those tall, I, I don't even go for the, the regular 12 ounce cans. I hit the tall boy 16 ounce cans. They usually come in a four packs wherever I buy beer. You put it in the cooler, you put some ice on top. The moment you take it out and the sun reflects off that gold top of Miller Lite with that white can, 
a beautiful sight out on the open ocean. You don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and is less filling, and it tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right to your door, visit MillerLite.com beach, or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 96 calories per 12 ounces, fewer cows and carbs than premium regular beer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Jim, I think this character of Brockmeyer is so rich, and the idea of being able to do this on audio without video has some potential to be some really strong work, that this character lends itself to this form. Yeah, you know, first of all, you just call me Jim, which I think is a compliment. I mean, I'm actually Hank, but that's fine. I feel like Jim, a big part of me is Jim, and... You know, what happened over the years in promoting this show is we go on shows like yours as Jim Brockmeyer, and we found it was such a natural because baked right into the character of Brockmeyer is this brutal honesty. He, he becomes a meme called Brutal Brockmeyer because he goes on the air in a blackout trunk and tells the truth about walking in on his wife, you know, having sex with his neighbor, and that's what gets him fired and thrown out of baseball. And so this idea of being cutting through all the bullshit and just you know, uh, telling the truth about sports, putting celebrities or sportscasters, broadcasters on the spot, talking about their personal lives. Uh, We thought it might be a fun way to promote the show and go on sports talk shows. And it was so much funnier and more beyond successful than we thought and so much easier to do than we thought that we were like, this is a natural for a podcast. Like I knew it would work. Like I knew it would just be... uh, hilarious and fun. And as we were creating the podcast, um, Dave Thomason, our, our, our writer, and, and Sheena and I were brainstorming and they had all these ideas. I'm like, guys, this all sounds great, but I promise you, all we need to do is get a real sportscaster, talk about issues in sports in a very real way, and just have Brockmeyer ready to say whatever insane things he wants to honestly say about it, and it'll work. And We've only, I mean, our we did we did one with you, Dan, as kind of a test case, and it's one of my favorite things I've ever done. 
you know, in the in the radio world, in the sports talk world. And we did one with Stu Gatz, and that was like equally as fun. And our first um, official podcast with Charles Barkley, which, which you were kind enough to wrangle for us. And man, that was just insane. I mean, Charles goes on and on and on, as you know, uh, enjoys... Uh, 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 the sound of his own voice and also uh, has no problem going going into whatever uh, insane corner of his life, and there are many that, that you want to go into. And he's a real match for Jim Brockmeyer and that I think maybe the only person more brutally honest and more insane than Jim Brockmeyer is Charles Barkley. And so that was a really fun uh, kickoff. And, uh, you know, I think our second one's Ben Stiller and then We'll bring Rich Eisen and Joe Buck in and others. But um, it, it really is a natural. It's fun to sit there as Jim Brockmeyer and just be brutally honest with people, put them on the spot, and then make fun of them. It's great. Gina, you were really fangirling with Charles Barkley. I expected a professional deadpan radio host there to support her co-host, Hank Azaria, Jim Brockmeyer, but instead you were just fangirling because you were all excited that Charles had Dane. It's not supposed to work that way. You guys aren't supposed to respect anything in sports. This is what happened to Kornheiser and Dennis Miller on Monday Night Football. They couldn't bring their comedy chops to it because they got too starstruck. I think it's just it's always such a breath of fresh air to talk to someone that isn't Jim Brockmeyer. That, you know, you, I mean, you just latch on to whatever you can. How dare you? How dare you? Um, I, I, was, I had a little bit of a, of a man crush on Charles as well. You know, sitting there was hard times. I, I was glad I had my Brockmire, you know, nonsense prepared. Otherwise, uh, I would have just been like, that's great, Charles. You're great. Yeah, I don't know if this is going to make the edit, but he did invite us to his New Year's party. And we are going. What? Oh, yeah. No. You, you guys, that's not right. That's not. You guys are just going to finagle these great, uh, this great yes. access, and then you're going to run off with somebody else after we've established the Brockmeyer brand in this audio sphere. What are you guys wanting to do with the advancement of the story, right? Because you guys, through four seasons, Brockmeyer came to its natural end. You concluded Brockmeyer. You said, Hank, as much as you love the project, you were ready for it to be finished. It ran its creative course, right? You told the story you wanted to tell. Yeah, but it's a character I do love doing. And and this sort of best is best of both worlds for me because we've told the story and it was a pretty, it was very funny, but pretty heart-wrenching one as well in many ways. So this is just kind of the fun sophomoric side of the character. And uh, in the show, in season two, he actually does host a podcast. Um, so it's kind of life imitating art, imitating life, imitating art. And when we did that in the show, we got a, a lot of people really, really thought it was real. Like, where can I actually find the Jabrockmeyer podcast? And we're like, that's a kind of a good idea. And like I say, I'm not kidding. You know, I think as a, as a lifelong Jets, Mets, and Knicks fan, sports has become less about actually watching the games uh, and more about analyzing how my teams suck, analyzing men like you talk about why and how my teams suck, um, which is more compelling for me at this point because I have no choice. I have like Stockholm Syndrome with these teams. Um, so, you know, being a part of that world, real, I get a huge charge out of it. An excuse to bring, you know, the men and women I love in who do this for a living is is very, very fun for me, a way to my, 
to pay comedic homage to it. Uh, I, I love it. Who were some of the actors from this world? Joe Buck was a natural, right? He just fit right in. You guys, I don't know how much acting experience he actually has, but you guys just brought him in. You're doing whatever it is. 22 days of filming, as many episodes as you can, and he flies in and he crushes it immediately. No problem. Prodigy. Unbelievable. I mean... I've told this story so many times. Sheena, you want to talk about Joe Buck's acting chops from your point of view? I mean, yeah, it's, I don't know what to say. I mean, he came on set. I think season one, he flew in for maybe half a day um, because his schedule kept changing. And he was so funny. It was, you know, it was our first season. We were worried about uh, whether or not the sports casting pieces were going to be hard to get because, you know, there's broadcasting and acting are two different ball games but uh he's so funny he's so great he came back for season two um and we actually had to do a video conference he was originally written to be there but his schedule changes a lot and so we had him video conference in and sort of poked fun at the fact that he had to video conference in in the script um and then i think he came back every year right i mean he was just so funny we just kept having him. he back. was in every season yeah, yeah. and incredible we had originally written his stuff to be easily cut in case he couldn't act, you know, which was a decent chance, right? He's a sportscaster. Um, and then we even thought, maybe we're making a mistake. Maybe we should just have a Joe Buck type and cast it, you know, so that... And we're like, eh, it's Joe Buck. He's willing to do it. Let's at least roll these dice. From take one, he was so brilliant. He was better in me than me in some scenes, like almost too good... And uh, it was amazing. Like, if the guy wanted to act, he absolutely, no question about it could do it. Oh, he was it. so great as the character, and I love that as a riff. You having a feud, a rivalry, what was the best of the rivalry with Joe Buck? Because one of the things that it dawned on me as I was watching what your guest list was when you put it together, Met Owner, and really, people might be hearing this and they're like, really, we're going to go from Barkley and Stiller and Cheadle to just descending into the sports gas bags? But there's something about those guys that you specifically want to play with because they're actors and they're very... You've chosen Dan Patrick. You've chosen Colin Cowherd. You've chosen Rich Eisen. You've chosen these guys who somewhere you're trying to mine the Joe Buck. You're even going to have Joe Buck on himself, right? That is correct. Yeah, no, well, you know, Rich is an old, old friend of mine and is a really hilarious guy. Dan, we all know how funny Dan is. He's awesome. And 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 Rich and Dan and Joe were in the Funny or Die short from the beginning and they, they knocked it out, out of the park. I didn't know you then, Dan, or I would have asked you. But, um, and, uh, you know, some are better at it than others, but that's another reason why I'm excited about this uh, concept because even even if somebody just plays it straight, even if a guy comes on and is really dry just with their sports takes, we have stuff ready as Brock. In fact, you know, it might even get funnier because Brock Meyer will really just kind of lay into them for being who they are, and Brock Meyer's ready with his own insane takes on what's going on. So, you know, it's kind of all good. And then, but the more playful it gets. Uh, the more fun that is too. So, uh, you know, it, it's it's also talking about the sports that week or sports issues that week, it becomes a window into society, much like it's another reason why it's a natural fit for your network and what you're doing and why it always went the best on your show while it all played really well on Dan's show or on Rich's show or elsewhere, on, on, on your old network or wherever you want to say it. Um 
with you guys, it really went the best because you got it on a very fundamental level and, and kind of knew how to play along. And honestly, really, it was that success, partly why I wanted to do it on, on your new uh, venture here is because we do oh, even the developing of the of the of this character as a as a a faux radio sportscaster has a lot to do with what we did with you guys like really getting to the comedy of that in that way happened a lot on your on your set. Gina, one of the things I'm excited about and someone who appreciates comedy, I'm curious, the funnier die sensibilities that he's talking about there, the things that make this a special character Hank is uniquely qualified as a talent and because of his love of this character and because he can be the pukey broadcaster to do in this space the anchorman Ron Burgundy stuff that Will Ferrell was doing, to do some of the stuff that Funny or Die helped birth. Like I just love the idea of Hank being able to play in that space with this specific character because the more awkward it gets, the better it's going to get because it's going to be a combination of Funny or Die in between two ferns. Yeah, no, I mean... I, I don't want to talk too much about our first episode because everyone should listen to it, but that the mixture of comedy and also the genuineness that Hank brings to Jim Brockmeyer makes for such a fascinating interview. I mean, we talk about Charles and he has his own fair share of stories. Um, and, you know, you get a lot of comedy out of it, but it, you actually... Gina, are you about to be arrested? Yeah, it's, we might want to wait. <laughs> They're coming for me, guys. <laughs> No, they're coming for me. Hank, you're going to have to finish the story. <laughs> uh, I'll take over for Sheena, who's either going to be arrested or taken to the hospital very shortly. Um, the uh, Yeah, I mean, with it's diff- a little different with everybody, but because Brockmar is a host himself, and I, I'm pretty good at that and pretty good at doing it as Jim and then ready with my own, like all good comedy hosts, you want to be ready with your own crap. Like, you know, when Seth Meyers or Colbert or, has anybody on, you know, they don't have to be particularly entertaining. It helps, but, the, you know, they're ready to, to to make fun of what's happening if need be. You know, with Charles Barkley, he's got so many genuinely insane stories that some of it became just a real interview where, like, Charles was just sharing absolutely insane stuff in a lot of detail. And uh, whereas with you and I, we sort of had more of a theme of what we were going for there of kind of like, uh, uh, looking at Disney through a certain lens and Brockmire kind of dragging you through that crazy mud, you know, with um, with uh, with Joe Buck, I'm sure it'll be much more, it'll feel much more like uh, uh, two guys doing, you know, much more like a, a faux buster only podcast where we're talking about baseball and yet there's something very, very strange going on here. With everybody, it's Brockmire, like Between Two Ferns, and it's an excuse for Brockmire to tee off on people for one reason or another in a pretty brutally honest way. And I think it also that through the comedy style of the interview, you get to ask questions that normally you couldn't really ask on something more serious. And through the humor, you actually get to interesting stuff. I mean, obviously with a guy like Joe Buck, there's so much we could ask him around his reputation and, you know, how people talk about him and stuff through comedy that actually it it gets really interesting answers that you might not yeah. normally hear. Yeah, like, you know, like with Charles, for example, a lot of questions we asked him, only Brockmire would have the balls to ask it. Even things like the round mound of rebound. What, do you like that? Do you hate that? Are you new? What's with that nickname? And we, he actually had a lot to say about it. 
Which I don't. I wouldn't have ever had the balls to ask him that. I don't know that. I mean, maybe you did, Dan, over the years. I don't know. But. Don't give away too much. There's news in that podcast. He revealed very casually something that I've never heard before. I'm not going to tell the audience right now. I'll tell you guys off air because you guys might be too close to it to have realized he breaks news on your podcast. There's something on here that people are going to be like, whoa, I didn't know that at all. But I'm very excited to have these two people as a part of this particular project as it spoof sports in a very smart and crass way, in a way that fits with the things that Metal Arc Media is going to aspire to be, in a thing that feels symbolic to me because as part of Lebetard and Friends, you mentioned the stuff going on with us and Disney. Brock Meyer, during our last few days at ESPN, in the shadows of the podcast world, under the noses of the corporate overlord, we had at the expense of our employers, Jim Brockmeyer came on and interviewed me in podcast form and buried me under sort of Disney shackles. And I'm curious from your vantage points, our end at ESPN and at Disney, what did you guys see? Because very symbolically, you guys came and rushed to sort of support the things that we're about in this venture that starts now spiritually with you guys as the first announcement for what and friends is going to be. Yeah, and that was another crazy thing about this where life started imitating art, started imitating life, started imitating art. Like, it got very organic. I mean, the way Brock Meyer kind of grew up on your show and the way he spoke, you know, when I would come in and do your radio show or your podcast, then all of a sudden you you were having some real issues over there at your old network. And then talking to Brock Meyer became a way to kind of address that stuff in a really funny, honest way. And and you kind of discovered how Brockmeyer can say stuff that you can't, um, and uh, certainly that I wouldn't either. You know what's so funny, Dan? Here's an example. Like I, we we had this uh, on social media for a while as I was kind of doing a campaign to see if uh, Brockmeyer could maybe get an Emmy nomination, which we failed miserably at. But um, so I would tweet as Brockmeyer sometimes. You know, we had this all these Brockmeyer lines ready to go, and I was like, ah, you know, let me let me tweet this one as myself, because it's kind of a funny line. I think it was about the Pittsburgh Pirates. Something about, literally, such innocuous, like, baseball take on how the Pirates, their attendance isn't so great. You know what I mean? Something that if Brockmeyer said it, you'd say, why is Brockmeyer being so G-rated today? Like, what's that? Who cares? (laughs) I said it. I can't tell you the Twitter vitriol that came my way that I dared to say something about Pirates' attendance at baseball games. And I was like, wow, man. You know, stuff I can't even get near. Jim Brockmeyer can just... I've never had anybody complain about a horrible thing Jim, Brock, Jim Brockmeyer said, whereas I couldn't touch it. So, yeah, that's another big thing with this. You guys kind of think that this show, and I agree with you, it's a bit criminally underrated, correct? Because I want to resuscitate that Twitter account. Hank, you should be tweeting as Brockmeyer. You can absolutely play with the spoof. You can grow that Twitter account very quickly. The ribald broadcaster in 2000. 2021. Hank, you had to have been amazed. We talked about this. What happened with that Cincinnati Reds broadcaster, Brenneman, what happened with him in the middle of the pandemic where he's calling the game and it feels like he has to stop to respect the count and the game situation? That was Brockmeyer fiction. That is sports very often producing the art that this show is going to be built around. Yeah, I mean, we pride our, you know, our production company is called How To Pictures. And the reason why it's called that is I had a conversation years ago, maybe 25 years ago, with the late, great Gene Siskel. Remember the film critic Gene Siskel? 
we were chatting film one day in we were in Hawaii. I ran him in Hawaii. We played tennis with each other. He was a very good tennis player, I might add. And um, he, we were talking about how certain films, certain uh, movies have such a realism to them, emotionally and otherwise, that he and his partner, Roger Ebert, called them how-to pictures because you could practically learn how to do something by watching the film. That's how, that's how realistic they were. And I always love that in movies when um, you get a real, uh, you can just feel how real it is and they don't cheat too much either with the story or the emotional truth or with the logistical truth of it. So those are my favorite kind of stories to tell. And that's why I wanted the production company to be called How To Pictures because I wanted to have that level of truth telling in stories. And Brockmeyer was absolutely um, that. So um, uh, that's what we aspired to anyway. So to be able to um, have a character that tells that level of truth and uh, uh, you know, have a show that did that as well. And the by the way, you know, the show was underwatched because we were sort of buried in, in I, on I, on the independent film channel when they kind of caught going to Hulu instead of Netflix and all kind of business reasons why we got a little bit buried. But um, but critically, it went beyond my wildest expectations. I mean, we were really um, smart show. It is a great show, and I am proud to have the Brockmeyer brand associated with anything that we're doing around here. So to Sheena, to Hank, I'm very excited about what you guys are starting to make here, and I'm thrilled that you're doing it with us. So thank you for joining us on this part, the first part of this journey. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Dan. I feel it wouldn't be a conversation that we had if Jim Brockmeyer didn't insult you in some way. So you're wearing a colorful hat in front of your very colorful set. And the size of your head is so, you know, it's just so large that I can't tell where your head stops and the background behind you begins. It seems just all one, just like some, I don't know, some giant billboard that's become your head. A lot has changed over the years, but you know, one thing that has the great taste of Miller Lite Another thing that hasn't changed is that it's less filling. So what's the best thing about the original light beer? I pose this question to you. I don't know. You tell me right now. Okay, yeah, that's good. I like that. Miller Lite sparked this debate in 1975, and we still haven't settled it. The best thing for me about a nice Miller Lite is when I'm on the boat, I bring those tall... I, I don't even go for the, the regular 12-ounce cans. I hit the tall boy 16-ounce cans. They usually come in a four-packs wherever I buy beer. You put it in the cooler. You put some ice on top. The moment you take it out, and the sun reflects off that gold top of Miller Lite with that white can. A beautiful sight out on the open ocean. You don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and is less filling. And it tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right to your door, visit MillerLite.com beach. Or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories per 12 ounces. Fewer cows and carbs than premium regular beer.